Good morning, and welcome to the Scholars in Iron podcast. I'm your host, Joe, coming to you from outside the nation's capital, right here in the DMV. The objective of Scholars in Iron is very straightforward. It's to associate strength training with intellectual endeavors. On the show, we'll examine the connection between capitalism and CrossFit, philosophy and powerlifting, all to raise some hell and even a few questions. By the end of each episode, we'll get one rep closer to living the phrase, civilize the mind, but make savage the body. In honor of Italian Heritage Month, I want to dedicate today's episode to the memory of the Italian-American bodybuilder, Olympic weightlifter, strongman, and powerlifter, Dr. Franco Colombo, a man who condemned himself to a life of strength and became a legend for it. He died last August at the age of 78 in his native Sardinia. He'll be missed, but not forgotten. Now come on, let's lift. In today's episode, I want to discuss gravity and powerlifting. I also want to look at why the French philosopher and writer Albert Camus saw the ancient Greek king Sisyphus as joyfully embracing his fate hauling up that massive stone. But to start, I want to know what is it about gravity that we tend to see it as more of a hindrance on the human body. Most of the time, we don't really use our bodies to their best mechanical advantage. And you know this when you've helped try to move a friend's queen-size bed up several flights of stairs and your lower back starts to give out. So the less we know about how to move our bodies in this collectively strong manner, the more prone we are to injuries. And our corporeal ignorance really does come at a price. I mean, as we get older, gravity's pull becomes even more violent. One answer to physics' most unrelenting law is powerlifting and why getting stronger is a tough but ultimately happy pursuit for us to endeavor. So what is powerlifting? As a strength sport, Powerlifting is younger than Olympic weightlifting. When it first emerged in the late 1950s, it was initially called oddlifting. Powerlifting is defined by the proper and successful execution of the three big compound lifts, the squat, bench press, and deadlift. The heavier you go, the better your ranking will be at a meet. The idea is simple. Depending on the lift, you move the iron bar in a certain way up and down. But make no mistake, simple is not the same as easy. Given that most people are fairly sedentary these days, Training these lifts can throw our bodies into an enormous amount of stress. For one, they're done with very heavy weights, and reps and sets are often broken down into percentages of your one rep max. So unlike in bodybuilding where the weight really doesn't matter because you're chasing the pump, in powerlifting, all the weights and reps and sets are written out. And powerlifters schedule their lifts using very precise programming and rarely, if ever, deviate from them. One of the more interesting aspects of this sort of programming is how your body begins to adapt to heavy lifting. If done consistently and according to schedule, your body will actually build out neural pathways in order to outfit it for these movements. That's why powerlifters will often occupy a power rack for well over an hour, because the need for adequate rest between sets prevents them from overwhelming their nervous system. So for example, I remember one time training at the Institute of Iron. It's a powerlifting strongman gym located in Weimar, Pennsylvania. It's one of those classic no-nonsense garage gyms owned by a powerlifter and strongman, Kenny. They're on Instagram, so Check them out. I went over to learn how to front squat and do some of the accessory lifts for weightlifting. Towards the end, Kenny had me try out the reverse hyper. It's a machine that's meant to strengthen your lower body as an alternative to good mornings. I think it was after a few breathless heaves of the reverse hyper when I told him that this kind of full body training was not just exhausting, but fatiguing. It was a totally different feeling than what I've been accustomed to after doing all of my bodybuilding routines. And I remember Kenny telling me that bodybuilding is like getting ready for a car show. 
but powerlifting is like prepping for a drag race. Full body movements take a lot out of you, and so you need a period of deloading. Deloading is a prescribed period of time, often a week, where you lift about half the weight you normally would on your squat or bench. And while you may not feel like you need one, you don't want to make the mistake of running your nervous system into the ground. Deloading is meant to give your system the break it needs from the heavier lifting. Last November, right after Thanksgiving, I was making some great headway with my strict overhead press and decided that since I ate so much over the holiday, I wouldn't need a deload. That ended up so well. Not only did I not make the lift, but the following three days I felt extremely anxious, almost sick without having all the physical symptoms like a stuffy nose or a sore throat. I felt all my nerves were out of whack, and that was basically my body telling me that I overdid it. And the following week, I decided to lay off the weights completely. Training for powerlifting isn't about physical aesthetics. It's about lifting the heaviest amount of weight you possibly can. When I first began to lift, I was in it more for the sculpted muscles and begrudgingly the diet to achieve the lower body fat percentage. At the same time, I assumed that my strength would come from just chasing the pump, and for any newbie, you're bound to get stronger regardless of what you do because it's an entirely new venture for your body, and so it just adjusts quickly and reacts quickly. But huge muscles on a physique can be deceptive. They don't necessarily confer upon someone's strength equal to their size. So I was doing all of my high volume protocol and putting on lean mass, but I didn't feel like my strength was really increasing the way I thought it would have. I was going to this powerlifting gym called the Whippany Athletic Club up in North Jersey. And it had a lot of machines and free weights, which I was only using. The power racks would usually be the first area I would see after signing in. And I have to admit, I was always a little intimidated walking past them because it would always be full of these huge powerlifters grunting and slamming down hundreds of pounds of iron. Tuesdays was deadlift day, and they were like earthquakes. It definitely made me feel less excited to be using the seated pec deck. Now, as I mentioned in the first episode, my first time squatting was pretty miserable. I remember hearing a very audible pop go off somewhere in my lower back, and it basically turned me off from the experience entirely. In fact, what was supposed to be an injury that usually takes about three months to get over ended up being eight because I was still wary about doing them. I resigned myself to lunges and a lot of machines, all to avoid squatting. What makes squatting so difficult at first? Well, for one, you're not just isolating your muscles, but you're also involving your joints as well. That's why it's called a compound lift. You see, when you do something like the leg press, there's always the temptation to push against it with your back to cheat the rep up. But in a squat, you either lift it or you dump it. Barbell training is also tough because it runs the risk of accruing injuries. But it is because it is harder and more dangerous that when done properly, the advantages definitely outweigh the risks. One of the advantages that comes from compound training is how you understand your body as a force working against gravity. Ray, the powerlifter I mentioned in the first episode, told me that when you're getting out of the hole, that is, when you're ascending from the bottom of the squat, think of it as if you're pushing away from the earth. This sort of makes you feel as if you're not just focusing on your legs, but also on your heels, which is helping to drive the weight up. You see, in bodybuilding, it's mainly about isolating the muscle. Even when bodybuilders bench, they're not using their legs and lats like powerlifters, but trying to keep the tension solely on the pec. So when Ray was giving me all these cues, it was a shift in my conceptualization. It was forcing me to use my body in a more mechanical way. And I never really knew that I could use my body in such a collectively strong manner until I began to squat, deadlift, and bench. As with all revelations raw from experience, I now realized how much stronger I was and potentially could be. I began to shirk less in the presence of powerlifters and just loved watching these guys lift. I mean, hell, even in their presence, I felt like I'd lift a whole lot more than when I was just by myself or using some machine. Dave Tate is a famous powerlifter and owner of Elite FTS, and he's definitely considered one of the sages of the sport. 
I love checking out his Instagram because of all of his posts on life lessons and roughneck witticisms. His meditation on the squat is among my favorites. The squat is the perfect metaphor for life. It's about getting up after something heavy has taken you down. Now, on the surface, this may seem rather trite, but I'm of the mindset that the barest of reflections are often earned in the most painful of ways, and in that regard, I have quiet respect for them. Powerlifting is man coming to terms with gravity, but not in a peaceful sort of way. It forces you to recognize that with every pound and plate added to the bar, your limits are either confirmed or they're broken. The process remains the same. There is no variation in the method, and this is why I think compound training is superior to that of just using machines. It keeps you honest about what you can and can't do. And while progress can be hard to come by, it is in the act itself where great reward can be found. The story of Sisyphus is known more for its allegorical ending and lesson than anything else. It's about a trickster king of ancient Greece who annoys the gods, cheats death himself by binding him with chains in the underworld, and is eventually punished, being forced to haul a massive stone up a mountain only for it to tumble back down to the bottom again. For most of recorded humanity, the story of Sisyphus is read as a sad, unfortunate event to describe certain tasks or feats which are arduous but bear no fruit. In Albert Camus' famous essay, The Myth of Sisyphus, the French philosopher and writer used the struggle of Sisyphus to highlight what he called the absurd in human life. There are just some things that, no matter how hard we try, we cannot rationalize in this universe of ours. We can only accept it. Camus mentions activities like a working class job whose endless repeat of tasks appears absurd as an example. But it is interesting that, among the many things which man may pursue that appears as a fabulous waste of time, is something like repetitive lifting. The powerlifter, in my mind, accepts the fatalism of the world around him. Because after all, whatever takes us down in life, we have to get up from, regardless of the rhyme or reason of it. This requires a mindset that is very different from the colorful existentialism of the bodybuilder, who wondrously explores the meaning of space and aesthetics within a changing flesh. Powerlifters, I think, possess the mentality more along the lines of Camus' Sisyphus, who accepts his fate, that relentless pull of gravity, and refuses to make excuses in the execution of his task eternal. There is no sun without shadow, and it is essential to know the night. The absurd man says yes, and his efforts will henceforth be unceasing. If there is a personal fate, there is no higher destiny. Or at least there is but one which he concludes is inevitable and despicable. For the rest, he knows himself to be the master of his days. At that subtle moment when man glances backward over his life, Sisyphus, returning towards his rock, in that slight pivoting, he contemplates that series of unrelated actions which become his fate, created by him, combined under his memory's eye and soon sealed by his death. Thus, convinced of the holy human origin of all that is human, a blind man, eager to see who knows that night has no end, he is still on the go. The rock is still rolling. I leave Sisyphus at the foot of the mountain. One always finds one's burdens again, but Sisyphus teaches the higher fidelity that negates the gods and raises rocks. He too concludes that all is well. This universe henceforth, without a master, seems to him neither sterile nor futile. Each atom of that stone, each mineral flake of that night-filled mountain in itself forms a world. The struggle itself toward the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. And that's probably because he was getting stronger.
That's all we have for today, guys. I just want to thank my dad and my buddy Mike for their display of oratorical excellence. Music by Robert Slump. For Scholars and Iron, this is Joe, signing off.